Welcome to The Scientific Method. We are Pacific Northwest University of Health Sciences foray into the world of intellectually entertaining dialogue. From healthcare to pop culture, controversial conversations to advancements in scientific technology and more, we provide expert insight on science and society. We are an exercise in overcoming the noise and discovering the truth. Thanks again for tuning into The Scientific Method. Today's episode is one that we're hoping to repeat uh, just about every year. Uh, each year, PNWU nominates one student to be our Student Doctor of the Year. Uh, this year's Student Doctor of the Year is Paige Eli. Paige Eli is so impressive that not only was she the Student Doctor of the Year for PNWU, but she went on to become the runner-up for Student Doctor of the Year across the entire country. Um, I knew that I had to speak to her when I heard that, and I reached out to her via email and the response was just so bright and so enlivening and so exciting to read that I knew I couldn't really put it into a story form. We had to get her on the podcast and sitting down with her and having this conversation, everything that goes into her being nominated for an award like this becomes so clear and it, she's so deserving. She gives a lot of hope to anybody listening that we're in a really good place in the future of healthcare. Uh, her passion and her excitement for the topics that she speaks on and just her compassion for people who who really do need help is, is so inspiring. And I was honored to be able to sit down with her. Uh, I'm already taking too much time because it's such a great conversation. So without further ado, here's our conversation with PNWU's Student Doctor of the Year, Paige Eli. So we got the hardest part out of the way. I, before we started, I spilled coffee on you. Um, you're the first guest that I've spilled or thrown basically a drink at. So that's a good start. <laughs> it was an honor. I was worried yeah. about doing it myself. Yeah, thanks so. so much for being here. I'm sure that you're really excited at I, this point. I, I am excited, yes. Yeah. Uh, and coffee smells great, so okay, that's a good start. I'm going to try yeah. to keep it away from myself at this point. <laughs> I'm not going to touch anything else for the rest of this podcast. So... The reason that I wanted to have you on first and foremost is because you're our student doctor of the year. And with all the students that we have at the school and all the impressive stories that I've heard, just the awareness that you came out as the chosen student doctor of the year, whatever those stipulations may be, is so impressive in and of itself that I knew you must have had a, an extremely impressive story and background. And after reaching out to you, I was planning on writing a story at first and just kind of doing a page as our student doctor of the year. These are the things that she's done. I realized that there was no way that I could do that without creating basically a novel because you've you've Thanks. accomplished so much already. So I just wanted to start because our school has uh, this standard of recruiting students from the Northwest, bringing them back to the Northwest communities. And the idea behind that is they'll be interested in returning to their hometowns because that's where they're from naturally. Mm -hmm. But you are not from the Northwest at all. But when you graduate, you do want to go back to a Northwest community. And I found that fascinating in and of itself. And it seems like that is driven just by what you've seen in your experiences. So you grew up in San Diego, California, correct? I did. Yeah. Uh, San Diego is a great place to grow up. Uh, had a lot of diversity in my friend groups and uh, being really close to Mexico was a really rewarding experience and working with Rotary or the Interact, which is the high school club. 
being able to go down to Mexico uh, and being able to see another country and a different level of poverty and be able to have friends that were bilingual, multicultural, and then moved to Montana uh, for college, receiving an academic scholarship and didn't know anybody up here, but it was a great experience and I've loved the Pacific Northwest. And after that, don't, don't want to leave. I, I think it's beautiful up here and I really like the people and being able to be in a community in Yakima where there's also that multicultural bilingual uh, community, but it's a, um, a more climate that I, I like and then also uh, cheaper rent, especially compared to California. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> so before you even moved up to uh, Montana for college mm-hmm. and started to get the experiences that you did, you had done a lot of work in healthcare and just dealing with uh, populations that may have not had the access to healthcare that they needed. Can you talk a bit about that? Was that through high school or? Yeah, in high school, I I think in the beginning of high school, I came in and uh, was interested in community work. And somebody said I should volunteer with Interact, uh, the high school version of Rotary, and getting to see uh, the community projects they were they were doing and being able to go down to Mexico really opened up my eyes to uh, issues that I didn't see in my day-to-day life, but that many people were experiencing as their day-to-day life. And then ha- having that experience, uh, I was president of Interact and, and led a lot of um, trips down to Mexico and uh, volunteered for uh, an organization called Amigos de las Americas, which is kind of like a mini version of Peace Corps where I was in a homestay for six weeks in Panama and speaking Spanish pretty much the whole time and it's community development projects. Uh, And so being able to, if a community doesn't have, it's community run, so uh, whatever the community thinks is the best project for their Mm -hmm. community. So if somebody doesn't have bus stops, the community can decide to build bus benches. If they uh, don't have one of the favorite projects that I had when I worked for the organization in uh, Paraguay, uh, where I was a project supervisor for three months, of being able to have the community that kids weren't able to go for a full day of school because they weren't able to get lunch there and the walk was so long. And so the community said, we need to build a community kitchen at our school so that the kids can come to school, have something to eat and stay the whole day. And so that they um, matched the funding that came from the organization to be able to build that community kitchen so that kids could stay much longer than a second grade education of being able to stay for a full day and then for more grades of having that support from the community. Wow. It's amazing that simple things like that that we take for granted Mm -hmm. are such major obstacles and so many things in life. I mean, even just receiving an education. Mm -hmm. What was it that attracted you to that sort of work? As a high school student, I know that, I mean, myself in high school, I didn't have any of that on my radar. Mm -hmm. Was there something before high school or what what led you down that path? Well, that's a good question. Um, My grandpa is a, my... I think my, all of my family is very generous in different ways. Um, my grandpa was uh, very involved in civil rights uh, as a lawyer and worked with Cesar Chavez. And so potentially with that, uh, I'd have to consider that more of what initially started that. I think having those trips to Mexico were very influential of being able to see things that exactly like you said, that I took for granted that other people didn't have. And why was that? And exploring that more and having 
a really good place in high school to be able to have a friend group that explored that together and also had similar values and to learn from them and explore that discussion and then be able to have the opportunity to experiences of having additional travel uh, and being able to grow on that perspective uh, beyond just that original thought. So in our, our conversations leading up to this, you explained to me that when you were leaving high school and mm-hmm. even when you were going to Montana, you still had this focus on global health. When you arrived in Montana, though, that shifted. What was it about the experience that you had in Montana, the things that you saw that made you realize that although global health, of course, is still important and probably something that I'm sure you're still really passionate mm-hmm. about, there was some sort of a shift that happened. What was that shift? Yeah, I I learned a lot through traveling and being able to see things that you can't necessarily through the media and being able to have really great interactions with people abroad. I think sometimes we put too much focus on global health missions. And I learned a lot from those experiences that I did the homestay in Panama and we did community projects in Paraguay. And then I interpreted in Honduras for a medical group and also did a medical mission in India and learned a lot and it definitely shaped my global perspective. But in in college of having sociology classes and taking a course called Hunger and Homelessness and seeing, learning about the history of homelessness and then volunteering at that homeless shelter for the class and then the next four years after that of seeing the level of need that was in the United States as well of seeing, I grew up middle class and so that kind of opened my eyes that yes, you see people on the streets, but I didn't realize how many families were living out of their cars or living in abandoned sheds, uh, especially in rural areas of later when I worked at the food bank of seeing people that had to have their power turned off because they couldn't afford it uh, and sometimes due to medical bills or not being able to afford food or, or have to skip a meal because they have to pay for a medication. And that was something I'd never had exposure to prior to college. And so taking the course Hunger and Homelessness and diving deeper into that. And I am still very interested in global health. And I think that there is a greater need globally uh, in terms of the the poverty level can be deeper. Uh, But I think that I feel very passionately about effective altruism as well. Uh, which is kind of high impact philanthropy, not just how can you do the good, but the most good. Mm -hmm. And so if I spend $1,000 to fly somewhere to do a medical mission versus I could spend that $1,000 donating that to an organization that does malaria nets for $2 a net, Mm -hmm. how many more lives am I saving through that effort? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so being able to participate in donations and advocacy and more of that policy uh, in in being able to influence global health. But as far as direct service, I feel very passionately about doing that in the U.S. and that this is a culture and uh, context that I understand and being able to help the people that are in my own community uh, on a day-to-day basis and uh, being exposed to the food bank and how uh, after after taking that in college and then having a huge interest in food security and wrote my capstone on that, uh, majoring in sociology with an emphasis in social justice after seeing uh, what a need there was and really wanting to dive into social determinants of health and seeing how do things like housing and poverty and education and access to food and access to healthcare and a safe place to exercise, how do those influence our health and how does that vary? And so felt very fortunate of being able to dive deeply into that 
and specifically in, more into food security of, uh, especially family food security of parents sacrificing their meals to feed their kids or not always having enough to have their kids have nutritious meals. And then uh, based off of that, uh, going to the food bank, uh, becoming an AmeriCorps Vista and doing a lot of outreach and uh, to college classrooms and some excellent work with clients. And that was something that was eye-opening for me as well of seeing about 60% of our clients were coming to the food bank because they weren't able to afford food due to medical costs. Um, so either hospitalizations or, you know, medications that they need to afford or a family member got sick. And, uh, some of them have, some of them didn't have health insurance, but even those who did of not being able to have affordable health care. And so now they're debating between paying for medication or eating food and sometimes the medication you have to take with food and if you can't afford both. Uh, so that to me was also, I was interested in social determinants of health and then diving deeper into some of those issues and the health disparities that were out there during college. And then that year kind of focused me into, I really want to focus on healthcare and access to healthcare. Uh, that that being a big player of food security is very important and housing is very important and a number of factors of social determinants of health. But if somebody isn't able to afford their housing or their food because they are paying those medical bills, and that was a much larger number than I realized uh, prior to that year. Just the, the medical connection to it. When you went to college in Montana, did mm -hmm. you already have this medical uh, long-term goal of becoming a doctor? Um, yes. In high school, I wanted to be a physician and I think that was a combination of things. I've always really enjoyed learning and I think what, picking a career that really gets to work directly with people and help people. Um, during college, I kind of debated being a teacher or being a social worker, that those are also professions that I really respect and admire. And seeing with being a physician that you get to apply all of those subjects and you do teach patients on how to take their medications or on what's happening with their body, uh, with social work, that uh, that was something when I was shadowing in college that kind of confirmed my decision to be a physician was she says, I feel like I'm a glorified social worker or I feel like I'm doing a lot more social work than I signed up for. Mm -hmm which for me was great. I get to learn about science and I get to do connect people to resources as well. Um, so those are all exciting things for me. And I think being in medicine is a great combination of a lot of things. Coming back to, to one thing that you said earlier, mm -hmm. one thing that stuck out to me, um, you discussed that hunger and homelessness course that you had taken. Mm -hmm. And one thing that jumped off the page to me when uh, we were emailing back and forth was the fact that you took that and it was so enlightening to you. And then the next year you were teaching the course. Mm -hmm. What were the elements of that course that that shocked you that brought you so much passion to to go into this field and to eventually teach the course to other people what are some of the the things that you were teaching others that you had learned yeah i learned a lot uh that course is taught by one of my mentors daisy rooks and in sociology and the course was held uh, we had three hours once a week at the homeless shelter uh, and we'd have guest lectures from the community and some people who had experienced homelessness some people who were veterans and uh, that it's a really, it was a really great course and being able to see all the different facets of, of homelessness, that it's not just the person that you see on the street, um, which is also, uh, seeing in that context too, where in Missoula, 
not everybody who's sitting on the street is actually experiencing homelessness um, versus a lot of that hidden homelessness that I hadn't seen of families living out of their cars Mm -hmm. and the number of people that I saw at the food bank too, who that was something shocking to me that I hadn't seen. And being able to, uh, part of the course too is also writing um, ethnographic field notes, so really detailed descriptions of everything you're observing. And I think having that be a part of the course of uh, that you qualitative research that you write down everything you observe and then you look for patterns. And that was a great process for reflection too of here's everything I'm observing, here's how I'm reacting to it and how that might influence what somebody else says to me and really being able to have deep discuss- discussions with people who had experienced homelessness and uh, meeting some people who were 19 and had aged out of foster care. And that easily could have been me if I'd had a different background. Uh, if I'd grown up in foster care and uh, had been bounced around house to house and hadn't had the opportunity to get a consistent education or not have my needs met or um, some of the more serious factors. Uh, and so being able to meet people that I hadn't previously and the things that they had gone through and how resilient they were. Uh, And having that course really be a good place for discussion uh, is something that I really appreciated, learned a lot from, and then really wanted to be able to contribute to that for the next round of students. It's amazing how it seems like the the experiences that we have in life, our president talks about it quite a bit, adverse childhood experiences, Mm -hmm. and just those little foundational pieces it's uh, just the effects and the ramifications that they can have long term. And it almost seems like, you know, the the odds of being lucky or being unlucky are one and the same. And some people just end up lucky and have good circumstances and others don't. And it seems that that is the thing that results in the way that their life carries out. And mm. having that experience, I imagine, especially in such a deep way where you're so connected to those people must really drive you towards action and doing something which obviously is exactly what it did for you mm-hmm. um one thing that you mentioned was those really detailed looks into to people's lives as you greeted them and as you dealt with them uh and that translates directly to something that we discussed again before this conversation which is the approach that you plan to take to medicine mm-hmm. um looking at people outside of and this is again we seem to hit on this every podcast but mm-hmm. it, it's really important outside of just the clinic and outside of just the problem that they have and seeing what shapes their lives outside of the clinic. What are they eating? What is what sort of stresses are they facing? What is their family dynamics like? Where do they live? Those things are seemingly as impactful to health as anything else. How has that seems like something that's surprising too to a lot of people who look at medicine. Mm-hmm. They they view a doctor as somebody who can fix a problem and then move on from it. I think we have a train coming. Oh. This is a, a challenge of recording. I can see, yeah. yeah. So in taking a deep look at the, the people that you were able to interact with in those experiences, you talked about really looking at the, the lifestyle factors that, that led them to wherever they were and that influenced their lives. And before our conversation, you had talked about, uh, we bring it up in seemingly every conversation, being an osteopathic college, Mm -hmm. uh, the osteopathic approach and looking at patients outside of just whatever problem they present and instead looking at the life that affects them, whatever their, you know, what they eat, what their family dynamics are, where they live. Mm -hmm. All those different factors are as important as anything else seemingly in their health. Can you talk about that? Because that seems to be a really misunderstood piece of medicine and something that 
so many people in our school try to push and I don't I don't know if it's always as successful because it's I think people who look at medicine look at it as you're going to come in, you have this problem, they're going to figure out a way to treat that problem, whatever it is, and then they're going to send you back to your life and you deal with whatever your life is. And that's not an effective approach to to caring for somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I feel extremely passionate about that. And I think having the experiences that I did and learning more about in sociology of here's all the disparities that there are huge disparities based off of gender, class, race, so socioeconomic class, uh, being able to have different levels of quality of healthcare that you receive in addition to to other factors and learning more. There's these disparities out there. Now, what can we do about it? And I think being at the food bank and I really got more involved in advocacy and Medicaid expansion as one thing, advocating for our clients there. And I think coming into medical school, a really viewing not just helping patient in the wall, patients in the walls of the clinic, but being able to see ourselves as community leaders, seeing ourselves as not just diagnosing something and treating something, but seeing if if they don't have a safe place to exercise and we encourage exercise, how are they going to be able to do that? We tell them to eat right, but they don't have enough money to be able to buy fruits and vegetables. How are they going to be able to accomplish that? That, you know, we encourage... If somebody comes in with anxiety or somebody is really stressed because they're at risk of losing their housing or they don't feel safe at home, uh, how are you going to be able to deal with, you know, combat that or work with that patient to be able to alleviate their stress if they're coming to home to that every day? And I think that working in the clinic has been a huge privilege and being able to talk with patients and hear stories and learn things about the world and about them that I wouldn't previously. And I think it's our responsibility to take those stories and be able to change the healthcare system or uh, the greater system and working with our communities and sometimes needing to work on the state or national level to change those systems to be able to make it easier for patients to be able to have affordable access to healthcare to be able to have affordable uh, diet of having fruits and vegetables that's being affordable, of being able to have access to housing, uh, of having a quality education so that they are able to uh, further themselves down the line or if they're a child of, of being able to grow up and have that knowledge to be able to uh, take the best care of themselves and their families. And so seeing for myself that that's something I'm very passionate about of addressing social determinants of health and advocating for patients on all those levels. And then uh, something with health advocacy that I'm very excited about with our school is I think overall in medical education, there's a shift from just diagnosis and treatment of disease and osteopathically of thinking of the health and thinking of the person as the whole and seeing them in the context of their community. And so seeing more medical schools have social determinants of health is a part of that education, because I think especially during our first two years in medical school, we're still forming what does it mean to be a physician? What physician do I want to be? And if you have that early on in the education, then you're able to say, yes, a physician's responsibility is to advocate for their patients in their community, in their state, on the federal level, uh, and be able to address those factors outside the clinic. And a project that I've been working on for a long time with, uh, originally with Family Medicine for America's Health, uh, health policy team is creating an advocacy curriculum so that uh, students, uh, originally that was for residents, but excited to create that for students that uh, will have, be able to have an elective this next year in health advocacy for 
uh, third and fourth years, and then working with Dr. Bilski and Dr. Sorrells and creating uh, a curriculum during the first two years of training in health advocacy on how do you talk to a legislator? How do you write an opinion editorial? How do you dive deeply into something and look up things? What are the health policies related to a topic that's of interest or something that you see that's a frustration in healthcare? Where do you start in being able to improve that? Where I think a lot of physicians are in our healthcare system could be, there's lots of room for improvement. Mm -hmm but not seeing enough physicians show up to the table to make those improvements. And I think a big part of that is we don't have it as a part of our education. So people don't know how to do that. And if we create that as a part of our education, uh, viewing that as a doctor's responsibility to advocate for their patients and improve the healthcare system to make a better system for us and a better system for our patients. Yeah, that's such a wonderful approach. Mm -hmm. It's it's got to be complicated in dealing with patients when you have the the training that you get in medical school, which goes so deep into the way that the body functions and the things that can go wrong and the way that you can fix those things. Mm -hmm. And then you end up in a clinic and you find out that despite the fact that this person has something physically wrong with them, their physical problem it may very well be caused by something that you have very little control over. Mm -hmm. That has to be such a, a frustrating and hard thing to deal with. And I imagine it, it results. There's so much burnout in physicians. We just recently had a podcast on that. I imagine that that's one of the results of that is being able to help somebody through their health problem, but not being able to help them outside of the clinic where they really do need the help to prevent them from landing back in your clinic with another problem that's caused by many of the, the things that they deal with in their life that are difficult. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think a big passion too of seeing with family medicine of Primary care is really hard because you are addressing so many things. And, and one of the things that I am very excited to be a family physician, but something that I know going into it is you get less time than a specialist does to address the patient, organize their medications and organize all the things that the specialists are saying and seeing, does that med medication conflict with another specialist medication? Uh, being able to see, see them for preventative visits. So talking about uh, are they smoking and how should they stop talking about diet, coordinating the care in addition to and they have a sore throat or they've got knee pain. And so that you're managing their medications, you're managing if they're seeing multiple specialists, you're managing their acute findings and maybe a 20 minute visit. And how do you do all that and the additional paperwork and charting. And I think that something that's really exciting to me with healthcare is switching from fee for service into more quality based measures, which I think will be so not just you came for this amount of time, you get paid for this amount of time uh, for you, you were had this level of complexity of this visit. So I get charged this much of looking at what's the impact and being able to switch from having uh, diabetes be reimbursed a certain way and then looking at how well is that patient progressing. There's definitely limitations to that and I think it'll take a while to figure out, but I think that that's exciting. And I think the other thing with healthcare is with seeing classmates uh, make a decision to potentially specialize because there is so much responsibility and number of hours in primary care without the reimbursement. 
Uh, and so it's much easier to go into a specialty where you get more time with your patient, you get paid more, and potentially you have fewer hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just thinking about that objectively, who's going to choose primary care? Mm-hmm. Uh, where I feel very passionately about primary care and I think osteopathically of being able to view the patient in the whole and the frustration on certain rotations of, I love psychiatry and addressing people's mental health, but their mental health could be related to they just got a new medical diagnosis and now they feel really anxious about it uh, or that they started a new medication and now they have this side effect that they're seeing a different specialist for, but you missed it because you don't see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with that, I think primary care should be a much larger part of our healthcare system and should be better reimbursed. And I think that that's not just for the primary care providers, but I think that's a better healthcare system for our patients. Yeah. The, the close connection to somebody and again, the, mm-hmm. the impact that their lifestyle has on their health, it seems to go hand in hand in the sense that it makes sense to, mm-hmm. to reward the people who are really investing in a patient's life, who are really caring for the person more than just whatever the patient presents with. Mm-hmm. It seems like something that, of course, you should do that, but it's strange that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And coming from uh, rural Montana and operating in that, um, what were some of the unique lifestyle challenges that you saw? Because our school uh, operates in a, a sense of trying to take doctors and put them a lot of times in rural communities and in rural communities there are a lot of lifestyle pieces that are unique challenges to the people who live there mm-hmm. what were some of the unique challenges that you saw in those rural areas especially coming from somewhere like san diego that doesn't necessarily have those same challenges yeah and i would um expand on our mission being rural and underserved because mm-hmm. i think that for me i'm more i i think serving in rural areas is is a excellent goal. And I feel underserved encompasses rural as well as some of the populations or communities that are in an urban area, but are not receiving healthcare, uh, or at least in the same way that other people are. Uh, And so rurally with Montana of going into some of those communities with with healthcare, um, improving public health projects of being able to work with uh, Missoula Public Schools or work with Missoula Health Department and looking at the county instead of just in the Missoula city itself. Uh, I think for me, the biggest thing of uh, seeing the housing of if, if somebody's homeless in a rural area, they're not on the street. Uh, and then being able to have access to healthy foods within a certain uh, radius And if somebody lives in a rural area and it's, you know, so many miles to the grocery store and now you're having to calculate how much gas am I spending to either go to the grocery store or get to a medical appointment um, and seeing that access be limited or with a healthcare provider too, if you only have one provider in the community and they're booked so many months out, where do you go? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so a lot of people just putting up with things that should be dealt with sooner. And then by the time that you come into the clinic, that things have progressed so far uh, that it costs more to address that. And it's more severe for the patient rather than those preventative health measures too. Mm. Now, all the work that you've done before even graduating from medical school, um, it landed you as I started this conversation with as our student doctor of the year. But in being our student Mm -hmm. doctor of the year, you entered this pool of a national conversation of student doctor of the year across the country. And Amazingly, you came as a runner up and that um, which of all the medical students across the country who are all doing, I'm sure, amazing things. What did it feel like to, to find out that you were named a runner up across the entire nation? And how does that affect the, the work that you plan to do going forward? 
Uh, a huge honor. Uh, a lot of my classmates at my at our school alone, I feel very honored to have been selected. Mm. A lot of people are deserving of that. Uh, it was a really nice recognition on on that um, runner-up national level. And I think it's nice to be recognized personally, but also uh, in having my passions and work be more in public health and advocacy and see those things be uh, appreciated and um, uh, awarded uh, is something I'm excited about. Uh, in addition to direct service that I've done volunteering at uh, things in Yakima of either Union Gospel Mission or Diabetes Prevention Program or some of the stuff that I've done at Casa Ogar. Uh, that direct service has been great, but that's definitely been the bulk of the work that I've done is more in public health and advocacy. Mm. So in being here in Yakima, you mentioned UGM. Mm -hmm. um, your experiences from high school volunteering and doing all the work that you did to doing it in college to now doing it in medical school. Mm -hmm. um, how, have you seen some sort of a, a shift in the, the climate of medicine, of healthcare, or has it has there been some sort of stagnation that's frustrated you that you hope to have some sort of an effect on? Or uh, I think vocalizing again of well, I think I, when I was in college that I wasn't in the healthcare system that uh, I was a patient and saw people utilizing the healthcare system, but I think it's different now seeing it on a day to day basis or. Uh, seeing patients who uh, have frustrations or seeing some of those things that could be done better versus uh, advocating for Medicaid expansion when I was in Montana to have more access to for more people to have health care. Um, I think currently being able to advocate for uh, affordable health care for all, uh, whatever form that might be. Uh, I think we're still figuring out the best way to do that, but having access for everyone to quality high pri primary care, quality primary care, uh, and then being able to have bigger reimbursement for primary care, I think are two of the big goals that I have. There are uh, uh, many other smaller state uh, policies that I'd advocate for. And one of the ones of uh, the tobacco age being changed from 18 to 21, uh, that that was something advocating in Washington state a couple of years ago. And that's super exciting that that, that went through. So as uh, advocacy goes, that those two uh, being the bigger ones, but I think that Sometimes advocacy can be, hey, there's this little issue that should be addressed uh, or things like expedited partner therapy if somebody has an STD or STI and of being able to have it so that they can have um, a drug so their partner can get treated without the partner coming in, of uh, seeing things like that, of uh, advocating to be able to have that uh, be doable for the physician to do, that that's a small thing that doesn't necessarily need to be a years long project that you could advocate the ones and potentially have the policy be able to go through. So uh, I think whatever frustrations we have and being able to see how we can improve them. Mm. I want to pose a question to you that you had brought up in and of yourself. And I'm, mm -hmm. I bring it up because I'm very confident that you could answer it in a very okay. uh, well-rounded way. Um, you talked about how specialties are more well-rewarded both financially and because the workload is just, it's different. The patients that you're seeing, uh, it's just, a, it's a different mm -hmm. shape of scope of work. Why go into primary care and why is it so important for people to choose that path when they could make more money and have uh, a different sort of daily schedule and all the rewards that come along with going into a specialty. What is it about primary care that's so important? Yes. Um, with uh, seeing family medicine for me, 
of going to a national conference and meeting a number of family physicians that were passionate, not just about addressing the disease, but addressing the patient in their community and how do we advocate to have the best health for our patients and the best health for our communities and the best health for our nation. Those are conversations that I didn't hear as much outside of those conferences and really meeting a lot of my mentors through those those connections and seeing family medicine as being this big leader uh, in American Academy of Family Physicians having addressing health disparities as a big part of their mission, uh, which is something I really admired. And so I think having that early on and being able to see, oh, that's the type of doctor I want to be. How do I become that? Mm. And so of being able to go on rotations and see physicians can be really considerate of their patients and not have that framework for how they could address the social determinants of health. And so I think primary care is really well situated to be able to learn about your patient and their whole instead of if you're a gastroenterologist, specifically what's happening with your stomach and your, you know, your bowel movements of being able to say, do you feel safe at home? Are you smoking? Are you, are you able to exercise and have that context of the whole with the patients and then be able to have one visit where you're talking about anxiety and the next visit you're talking about knee pain and the next visit you're being able to see them for a check-in and talk about their family uh, or family planning. And I think in primary care, it's the unique opportunity to be able to see the patient as the whole, like we were saying, and that you miss that in the specialty. And that's something that's really important to me. So you just brought up a, another point that I wanted to, to touch on, and I have to find it in my notes here. I usually I don't have a, a set of notes, but with the list of accomplishments and things that you've done, I just had to make sure that I had them accurately. Oh, uh, you mentioned serving on the AAFP Commission uh, on Governmental Advocacy. Mm-hmm. And from reading about that, you were the only student that was serving on that commission. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? How were you received and how did you feel that your voice carried in, in that group? Yeah, I uh, feel extremely uh, fortunate that last year I was the only student on the Commission on Public Health and uh, or Science and Health of the Public is is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt very fortunate that I learned a lot through that experience and also felt like my voice was heard and that I brought a perspective that was still in healthcare, but not as far progressed where I think sometimes you're, it's harder for you to be able to see um, some of the things that once you're in that system of how can we change it, that it's been around for so long. Uh, and so writing guidelines on things like uh, COPD or uh, writing a position on um, prostate-specific antigen of PSA uh, and being able to also talk about health equity uh, in that last year was huge and having these great discussions and then how that translate to policies and also their lobbying efforts and what they what we were going to advocate for uh, and access to primary health care being a big one. And then this year of being the only student on the Commission on Governmental Advocacy has been a huge learning experience. I'm going to be going to D.C. for the Family Medicine Advocacy Summit next week. And very excited to, I've had more experience on the state level and the community level and to be able to go on that national level and meet with our representatives to talk about those things and hear their thoughts and be able to build relationships to 
uh, improve our healthcare system. That's amazing. It's amazing that you're doing all of this as a medical student. Oh, thanks. And that you've, <laughs> I mean, so you are officially in your fourth year as a medical student, correct? And mm-hmm. you are an undergraduate fellow in our OPP lab. Mm-hmm. Um, another major part of osteopathic medicine is the osteopathic approach also has manipulation in it. Um, what is it that attracted you to be an undergraduate fellow in the OPP lab? And what is it about that sort of medicine? We, we had the conversation with uh, Tom and Dr. Capistrant mm-hmm. about FDM and about how it can improve patients' lives so quickly. And when you're in these rural communities that don't have access to care and don't have access to doctors and the medications are really expensive and the patients can't afford the treatments that they need. And there's some sort of a, a form of medicine that can really have a benefit to them very quickly and and in a way that's accessible to them, that's such a powerful thing. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I I find osteopathic manipulative treatment, OMT, to be a hugely powerful tool. Uh, That was a reason why I wanted to come to an osteopathic medical school was having this tool of shadowing and seeing, wow, there's this thing that other doctors can't do and it's with your hands and you don't have to use outside resources and you don't have to necessarily get the imaging or have a $5,000 procedure and you could take somebody's pain away from 20 years in one visit. That's amazing and I wanted to learn that. And so choosing to become a fellow of wanting to deepen my skills that uh, every year you do OMT, you get better. And I've learned a lot through this year and really improved my techniques. I'm also really interested in teaching OMT or teaching in the future. And so that's been a great opportunity to get that exposure. And then the other part that we get to do is uh, do OMT at Union Gospel Mission at the Free Clinic. And the patients uh, that we get to work with are patients that I would like to work with for the rest of my career of Spanish speaking. And I I would not necessarily say that all of them are in a rural area, but definitely underserved that they're coming to a free clinic because they don't have health insurance or they don't have enough health insurance and they're coming to get that primary care or to get the health health care that they can. And being able to do a technique where, especially in uh, I speak Spanish and being able to talk with them, they've had more experience with treatment with hands than they have with medications sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have a treatment that's almost more familiar to them than uh, a lot of things that we talk about that are common to us in in healthcare of workups with imaging and, and medications. And so my favorite story of the beginning of the year and being a fellow was a woman who was picking apples uh, for her for her job and had an accident at work where she fell on her shoulder. And so she was only able to raise her arm uh, to her shoulder and not pass that, which for a job picking apples, that means that she's going to lose her job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so being at risk of losing her job, losing her housing, uh, c- expressing worries of not being able to feed her kids, put food on the table. And with a, when the, within that one visit of taking her and uh, use, I used FDM in that visit, taking her shoulder from being uh, at shoulder level to um, uh, an additional about 90 degrees of motion of getting it close to her ear and seeing her amazement as she was able to raise her arm up. Uh, and within the next visit that she, it was a little less than it was before, but it was significantly improved. And within three visits, we got her back to where she didn't need to, she didn't have any more pain, had full range of motion. And with three visits where you didn't have to do anything invasive, we didn't have to do extra medications. Uh, and some of the patients expressing that the medication is 
taking away the pain, but not necessarily addressing the underlying issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and so being able to do that all with just my hands has been incredible. That's amazing. And for somebody like that, uh, that simple cure, which seems like uh, it's just a shoulder injury, but mm -hmm. that's not just the shoulder injury. That's her entire life. If mm -hmm. she doesn't have something to fix that, or if she goes through many of the routes that would commonly be used to fix something like that, then she's out of work. And like you said, mm -hmm. her not being able to do her job means that her entire family is losing out and the health ramifications that come along with that, it's just like a tidal wave. Mm -hmm. So uh, if that's not, uh, evidence of the the power of the type of medicine and the approach that it takes to, to do this type of medicine that I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. So as you go forward and as you start to approach graduation, mm -hmm. which is exciting in and of itself, I'm sure, uh, what are some of the things that you want to tackle, whether it's in advocacy or whether it's your approach to medicine that you have sort of on your, your forefront of this is what I want to do as a doctor? Yeah, I think uh, I still have another year of rotations of this is my fourth year out of five since I'm doing an extra year of uh, this uh, academic medicine of, of being the OPP fellow. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I feel like I've really improved my OMT skills this year. And uh, through the leadership positions that I've had, uh, it's been great to be able to dive deeper into advocacy and continuing those efforts uh, throughout this next year, uh, applying uh, OMT to the visits that I can um, when when it's uh, the appropriate action, uh, which I, I think is more common than uh, is being done currently. And um, looking further down the line of, uh, I plan to go to a family medicine residency and be a, that primary care doctor and uh, passionate about OMT, uh, women's health, mental health. And then further in the, my career, I see myself potentially teaching at a residency and then further down the line, potentially doing something with public health, uh, at least if it's in my own volunteer time or potentially part time as a career in the future of having that impact um, potentially on the state level, uh, federal level or uh, working for something with effective altruism and having a, a global impact as well. Well, Paige, just the opportunity to sit with our student doctor of the year is such an honor. And then the fact that you're a runner up for national student doctor of the year is something else. And I think I, I speak for everybody in our university when I say that we're so proud to have you and so proud to know that you're doing this great work, that you've done all this great work and that you're going to continue doing more and more great things for the communities that you serve. So thanks so much for joining us for the conversation. And I look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for tuning into The Scientific Method. To be the first to hear upcoming episodes, including our conversations with the nation's leading healthcare experts on topics such as opioids in America, healthcare reform, corporate-funded research, and more, subscribe now.